this morning in recognition of who you are. And Lord, not even as much as who you are as what you have done. And Father, we just thank you for so great a salvation, Lord, that you have given us. That perfect gift, that which, Lord, we may not have wanted, but it was exactly what we needed. And I thank you for that day of our salvation, those personal birthdays as we entered into the kingdom of heaven. But today we celebrate your birth, that expression of love, Lord, to all of mankind. And I pray, Father, that we would see it even so much more than just your love, so much more than a celebration, but an opportunity as well, that we would see you birthed into the life of somebody else. So once again, we just pray for our time together as we open your word, that you would speak to us and guide us through it, that you would bless us for being here this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You turn to greet your neighbors. Are they yours? Oh, okay. Eh, a little rough. Merry Christmas. I hope everybody is having a wonderful Christmas. It's been a couple of months, but we've got a new baby in the house. My daughter, is her husband, is deployed to Afghanistan right now, and it's, it's hard to see. It's hard to see this young family and being separated during this time, but it was exciting, too, though, to have the baby and to have the baby in the home. <clears throat> My daughter, Jamie, is going to be leaving in a couple of weeks to go back up to upstate New York because it's not quite cold enough here. Um, it's, uh, actually, it's, it's really cold up there. But nonetheless, uh, her husband's coming back at the end of the month, so she's going to go and get things prepared, and they'll be back together as a family once more. And as a father, that's what we want to see our kids moving on together and, and being together. The Father in heaven wanted his children to come together and to be together. Now, on the day of that child's birth, of Malachi's birth, we as a family, we gathered together around that child, and it's such a neat thing to see because everybody wants to see the baby. Well, there was a baby who was prophesied so long ago that was going to come again, we don't know what day, but we do celebrate it today. And the celebration is in the heart and the lives of God's people. But again, it was prophesied. We were told of the coming of that child. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us, and it's an amazing thing, unto us, unto us all. And that's unto us and how we were. The Bible says, yet while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. But it was even before that death that he came and set the stage for salvation. And we have to understand truly what a gift that was, truly the expression of God's grace unto us. And just think of it in your unsaved state, how contrary you were to God and to the kingdom of God. But nonetheless, it was that period of time, that moment in time that unto us. And just as surely when Malachi was born, my, my granddaughter, she came unto us, unto our family. And just the blessing that was to see this human life come into the world. It's that miracle that every time I experience it, to the degree that I experience it anymore, the birth of a child, you truly see the miracle that it is. For unto us a child is born. 
came into the world just as every other child came into the world. Now, it was an amazing conception, without a doubt, but here's this child, this child that is born into the world, born into a very dark time. We kind of looked at that a little bit last night, that Israel was under Roman occupation, but really even worse than that, man was lost in his sin. Man was lost in his sin, and although God gave great promises, he didn't really understand the promises because the promises are all fulfilled in this child. And so there was that moment in time when this child was born. Unto us, a son is given. Now, it's a little bit different than just a child being born. This son, the son is the son of the father. He's the one who holds the privilege position. And again, we've seen past studies, especially in Philippians chapter 2, that this son set aside some of his privilege, if you will. He set aside some of his godly attributes so that he would be able to come in a manner that we would be able to understand, to comprehend. goes on to say, and the government will be upon his shoulder. He is going to rule the earth. And his name will be called Wonderful. He's not just a wonderful counselor. Some people have joined those two together, but he's wonderful. He's an amazing. He's beyond description. You can describe a child. I can describe my granddaughter, but I can't describe her in detail because there's so much about her I don't know. And there's so much about the Lord that he has revealed to us that we would understand that truly he's wonderful. Counselor, that his words, his words would fill the ages, filled our hearts and altered our lives. His words, his words have has granted us salvation, but also his words have guided every step of our life and continue to do so. And so he's wonderful, he's counselor, and it's an amazing thing. He's mighty God. Mighty God. We can so separate him from that, thinking of the Father seated upon the throne in heaven. But Jesus, God is one, and Jesus is truly our God. Everlasting Father. He's everlasting. He guides our steps. He, he gives us that which is necessary for daily living. As we need to seek understanding in the things that are going on today, especially in the dark times that we live in, He's the one who gives us that just as truly as the Father loves His child and gives Him direction for living as well. Prince of peace, peace on earth and goodwill towards man. Well, it's the only way that peace can come into a person's life is through Jesus Christ. It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is a kingdom. It is an everlasting kingdom. So when the child comes, people want to know. They come to visit because they want to know what he or what she looks like and who does he and she look like. They just want to know. They want to see the baby. When Jamie brought the baby home, we had a lot of visitors. Some of them I didn't even know. They were from the other side of the family. And they're looking at this child that it's very obvious that I'm the grandfather of this child. Looks just like me. And they're saying, oh, it looks like Uncle Harry or so-and-so from their side of the family. Doesn't look like their side of the family at all. Looks exactly like ours, or at least I like to think so. Well, it was the same thing at the time of the Lord's birth. There were those who needed to come to see. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, And when they had come, these would be those wise men, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Babies, the babies that we see today, false advertising. They look so cute, they look so sweet, but they never end up that way. 
Last night we came to church and my other grandchildren, Noah who's nine, Seth is around seven, Mariah is about five, Henry came over after service, he's what, he's two, you can ask him, he'll tell you one, but they, no, you're two now, okay. And so he's two, and so they were there. Well, the kids here, they got loaded up on sugar. And so you take them home, and the kids just freak out. And then their cousin comes over, and so they're running and yelling and screaming, and I'm thinking, yeah, they were so cute, but not anymore. They all look so good, but some even can turn out so bad. So what became of the one that the wise man came to see? Well, he's the one who altered the course of the world. He's the one who set us straight, who saved us from our sins and continues to give and continues to minister. So what I want to look at here this morning in our our short time together, probably going to go for about another 20 minutes or half an hour, and then we'll go about our Christmas day. But I want to come and I just want to see the child. And the best way to see this child isn't so much to lay your eyes upon a physical baby, but to see him biblically. And just to be reminded, because the child can be so easily set off in the corner and not even seen today on his own birthday. We can be so caught up in the presence and the gifts and the company that's coming over that we really need to take this time and to re-examine this child, to look upon him, even as those magi did, but all humanity has done since that day. And the first thing that I want to see, if you have a Bible, turn over to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. It's not necessary, but if you brought your Bible with you, go ahead and turn over there. The first thing that we see about this child, different than so many others, that he was pre-existent. Pre-existent? That child was there, or existence, before his birth, before the day of his birth. Three things we see over here in Colossians. We see, first of all, this child, his position over all creation. Now, just again, think of that. As Mary and Joseph, the wise men, the shepherds, the angels, as they're looking upon this baby, he was preexistent. They're looking at the creator of the world. And we see again his position over all creation in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says he is the image of the invisible God. When it says image, it means exact representation. He is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. When you're looking at Jesus, you are looking at God. And not just the image of God, but an exact representation of God in that He truly is God. We see, secondly, His power, His power to create all things. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, All things were created through Him and for Him. And so everything that we see, everything we know, everything that exists and has ever existed has been created. And so you're looking at this child and you need to see the depth of what you're seeing there. And then we see His providence and His control over all things. Verse 17, And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. When it says all things consist, again, I think the translators didn't do that word justice. All things are held together. What are the scientists looking for? They're looking for the God particle. The God particle, the God particle is just their explanation in their ignorance of what holds an atom together. 
What holds the, pro the, protons, the protons, the neutrons, and the electrons together? And they haven't really been able to figure that out. They call it the God particle or the God glue. But we know it's Jesus Christ. This little baby, this little baby is what holds all creation together. And it's that little baby at one time, if you read to the end, when there's going to be a new heaven and the new earth, Second Peter tells us that this, this earth is going to be disposed of, it's going to be that time when Christ simply lets go and all things are dissolved. And so you need to see the might. You need to see the power in that child. The next thing you need to see at that child, and again, I don't see how they could possibly comprehend, but he is God. He is God. He is God who not only created, but has also maintained and cared for his people. For Mary and Joseph, it would be all of the Old Testament, how they were delivered from Egyptian bondage, and how the Lord was with them throughout the wilderness, and all the things that led up to that day, and the fulfillment of the promise that he had given back in Genesis chapter 3. They're looking into the eyes of this child, they look into the eyes of God. There's a progression that I have written out in my Bible. I've said it many times. Some of you may even have it in yours, but it just speaks of the deity of this child. In Romans chapter 9, verse 5, it speaks of, of whom are the fathers and whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. And then from there I have Titus chapter 2, verse 13 written, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, it's not talking about the appearance of God and Jesus Christ. It's talking about God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. To the Son, he says, this is speaking of the Father, giving testimony of who the Son is. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God. And so we have a verse here of the Father calling the Son, calling Jesus God. He says, to your throne, O God, is forever and ever <clears throat> a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And then in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean, that he is God? And we need to biblically look at that. And I'm not going to go through all of the verses that I have for this because it'd just be way too much. But what does the Bible say that Christ is or who Christ is based upon his deity? Well, again, he's eternal. He's unchangeable. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's perfect. And he's incomprehensible. He's beyond us. This child, well, as I look at my natural child, I see that this child is from us, a gift from God without a doubt. It's going to have a lot of attributes of his parents and his grandparents as well. But I look at this child, I look at the Christ child, eternal, unchangeable, omnipresent. He's everywhere, though I am with you always to the end of the age. Omniscient, he's, he's all-knowing, omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's perfect and incomprehensible. He's beyond us. He created and controls all things. He cures all diseases. He claims creation and calms creation. He has conquered death and he has forever forgiven us of our sins. It's an amazing thing. As you look at a little child, you wonder of this child's future. And you have dreams and aspirations for that child and what that child is going to be. One of my 
grandson's teachers here at this church told me that Noah says he wants to be a pastor. And my wife and I can see that in him. Is he going to be? I, I don't know. Am I prophesying over him? I hope so. But you just get excited about those things, what that child may be. Seth, we're still praying for Seth. As long as he doesn't end up in jail, it's going to be good for him. <laughs> Seth can just be a handful at times. Interesting fact concerning this child, concerning this baby. Now just think of this, kind of, again, kind of a third party, not, not, not discounting the truths of the Bible, but just looking at this third party. If a virgin was able to conceive apart from knowing a man, it would be impossible for her to produce a male child. A child will either be a male with an X and Y chromosome or a female with two X chromosomes. A woman possesses only X chromosome and a man is the one who contributes either the X or the Y chromosome to determine the sex of a child. So if a virgin conception was possible, it would be impossible for her to conceive a male because a woman by herself only has two X chromosomes. And so what we see is the absolute miracle that occurred here and that God wanted us to know that there's something very special of this child, that you would look upon this child and you would look at the pages of the Old Testament and you could see the fulfillment of the promises, that you would see the hand of God and come to understand that this truly is God, that this is the most amazing present that human, human beings could possibly ever receive that you would rejoice and that you would celebrate the sending of a son throughout all of the ages as we are doing even today. In Mark chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. As you would be looking at this child, you would see the maker of miracles. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested. Attested means to exhibit evidence for the purpose of proof in a court. A man attested by God, presented evidence by God, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. We just finished looking at the first miracle in John chapter 2, the turning of water into wine, but that was the first of so many. He, God attests through these miracles of who Christ was in three main ways, through miracles, wonders, and signs. Miracles are that which is of a supernatural character, that which only God can do. Wonders are the amazement or the wow factor of those miracles. Signs are something that are pointed towards a truth. So miracles and wonders, they were always done for the purpose of a sign, pointing towards a truth, the truth of who Christ is. They were necessary for, for them. They were necessary to accompany Christ so that we would know and understand the uniqueness of this baby, the uniqueness of this child. And so again, you're looking at this baby, if you had the privilege of being there, if you were a shepherd in the field, and looking at this child, and looking into the eyes of the child, and just seeing the amazement, just seeing what God has done, and the graciousness of the Lord, and this expression of love for all of mankind. This child, this child also would one day die as we all do, but also this child would be the first to be resurrected. 
the first to be resurrected. Again, he's changing the course of all humanity here as he enters into this world. And as you look forward to that death, even death upon the cross, you would see that he's, well, I think Paul describes it the best way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 21. He says, but now Christ is risen from the dead. Because he, what he was talking about previously, Paul, was the futility of mankind if that child was not resurrected. If this child grew into adulthood and was crucified upon the cross and died and stayed dead, then he's no different than anybody else. But because of the uniqueness of this, this child, Paul's saying even though if he wasn't resurrected, we're still dead in our sins and trespasses, but he says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. When he says, for since by man came death, speaking of Adam, but by man, by Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, also came the resurrection of the dead. And so he's the first fruits. First fruits, the first of many more to come. And so you see in this child that, yeah, he's going to die for my sin, but he's also going to be resurrected so that I can have hope and my hope will be in my risen God. First fruits of all of the Old Testament saints who had died in faith. Those who had died during the Lord's day and trust in who He is. And us as we look back and look and celebrate who He was. And as we have come to the place of belief, we know we have that great hope that just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, we will be resurrected as well. Fifthly, he would ascend to the right hand of his father. This baby who has come one day will go and ascend back into heaven and be seated at the right hand of the father, that place of position of honor and prestige. What is God's intended purpose for the ascension and, and, and the ministry of Christ today? Well, it was for the purpose of Jesus' first exaltation, that he would be exalted above all because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But it wasn't enough just for exaltation, just to see, be seated upon that throne. It was also for intercession, that he would ever live to make intercession for the saints. That when we sin, when we fall short, when we need to be represented before the king, that he would be there and say, he's one of mine, that they're one of mine. And he would rightly represent us before the father based upon not who we are, but based upon who Christ is. The ascension the ascension was for that purpose of preparation. That baby one day would tell us that he is going to leave to prepare a place. John 14, verses 1-3, through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. But also he ascended for the purpose of dedication, exaltation, intercession, preparation, and a dedication. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, we have this rich promise that it says you can be confident of this very thing, that he who has began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, until the end of the church age is what that means. Being confident of this very thing, he who had begun a good work in you is going to be faithful. And that's what we see in, that, in the Christ child. This is the good work, again, that has been spoken of so long ago, but God, is, when you see that baby, God is doing that. 
And again, it's the hope of the future and the hope and the promises of God. And just as I see that newborn baby, see that newborn baby has finally, after about two or three months or so, maybe about two months, they turn into a human being finally, before they're just that, that lays there and cries and does other things that you have to deal with. But now, I was looking at Malachi, she was on the other side of the room from me, and she was looking at me, smiling at me. Now, maybe she was laughing at me, but that's okay, because it just warms your heart to see that baby and to see that child and and, and to see what God has done and the faith, well, not the faith, but the plan that God has for the future of humanity. It's represented in every child and every child that is born, how much more so this child as this child is born. And then we need to look at that child. He will come again. Consider the course. Consider the course of God's coming. Now, Jesus is the word, as we saw again in our study in the Gospel of John, But consider the Bible. Consider the Bible as a whole. It's all about him. It's all about his story. Every birthday that you have, now, speaking of my granddaughter's birthday that occurred, I think it was three months ago, whatever it was. My birthday just occurred about a month ago, not even a month ago, the 58th one. And as you look at that, you consider all of the years gone by. Well, as we're celebrating the birthday of this particular child, we need to consider the years that have gone by. We see, when we open up the Bible, Genesis, we're introduced to God. But just as surely as we're introduced to God, we're introduced to his creation, man. And right after the creation of man is the nature of man. It's that sinful nature of mankind. But God God never leaves man without any hope. And he gives a rich promise. As sin has entered in, he also delivers the promise that was created, or at least planned, from the foundations of the world. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Without going into the details of that, that's the promise of that child, of that Messiah, who would save his people from his sins. In Exodus, we see the power of God to redeem, and not only to redeem, but also to deliver and to keep. God is introducing himself to his chosen people, and he does so by overcoming the world and delivering his people from their captivity. And then we see in Leviticus, well, back in Exodus, Exodus, there was also the giving of the law. Because as God delivered his people, he promised that he was going to dwell amongst his people. But then we do enter into Leviticus, and Well, there's that sinful situation once again. If God was to continue to dwell amongst his people, something had to be done with sin. And Leviticus were introduced to the sacrifice. And then in the book of Numbers, don't worry, I'm not going to go through every single book of the Bible. In the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers is that journey through the wilderness. Again, the people being introduced to their God and learning and understanding who their God is. Deuteronomy, we see the second giving of the law and the preparation for entering into the promised land. After that, we have the rest of the Old Testament. Israel has entered into the promised land, and they've seen the fulfillment of some of the promises that God gave, that if they're obedient to Him, He blesses, but if they're disobedient, then there's the absence of blessing. But all the time knowing that they're God's people, but God all the time working towards that day of the birth of our Savior. And then we come to the Gospels and we see the coming of the Christ and the Word of God illuminated to all of mankind. This good news that God God has done the work. 
Because in the Old Testament, we saw the futilities of man's work and that man cannot be right in the sight of God through his own efforts. But the good news of the gospel, this is the effort of God. This is the effort of God for the salvation of all of mankind. And in the book of Acts, well, the Holy Spirit is sent as Christ has ascended and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and that truly God is still with us. And we see the church who is empowered to now do the work of ministry. And it's the good news that we have come to salvation, but as we have received salvation, not by works by grace, it's also by grace that we do go to work, that we serve the Lord and be that witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. In the epistles, we see how to live a practical Christian life, but then in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, everything is going to change. We see it in 1 Thessalonians and in Revelation, that man is raptured, and then we enter into Revelation. The outline of the book of Revelation tells the story. Chapter 1 of Revelation, you are introduced to Jesus Christ. Chapters 2 through 3 is a picture of the church age. Chapters 4 and 5, we see the church raptured now as in in heaven. And chapters 6 through 8 is the time of tribulation. Chapters 9 through 11 is the great tribulation from the perspective of heaven. Chapters 12 through 15 is the great tribulation from the perspective of earth. Chapter 13, we're told of the Antichrist. Chapter 14, we see the 144,000 Jews that God seals as evangelists during that time. Chapter 19 is the second coming of Christ. Chapter 20, the millennial age and the great white throne judgment. Chapter 21, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And chapter 22 is eternity. All based upon that child. All based upon who that child is. And so, God, God does great things by humble means. We see that example in this baby who came as this family, this man and this woman were traveling down to Bethlehem. There was no room for them in the end, but the world today still has no room for him. He was given that little stable, the most humble of places to be born, and he was. And it caused great upheaval in the world. Herod, you know the story, through his jealousy and his pride, decided to kill off the Savior, an agent of the devil, without a doubt. Whenever God does some great things, the devil attempts to do his thing as well. But God, as always in the past, has overcome and continues to overcome. That child grows, and as that child grows, the wood that we looked at this, that beheld this Savior in a manger is now a tree that the Lord has hung upon. He dies for the sins of the world, and as he does, he proves it by being resurrected and then ascends to heaven. And he still lives to make intercession for us. And there was that day, that day that you as a humble person, you humbled yourself in the sight of the Lord, and what did he do? He lifted you up. And as he lifted you up, he brought us into his wonderful kingdom. But even as God came in humble means as an example, he continues to use humble people. It's not that the great are called, it's not that the wise are called, but God has caused, and we use this as a joke a lot of times, but it's so true if we honestly look at ourselves, he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. And he continues to do so today, and he will until he comes back for his church. And so we have to understand this child came so that I could have privileged position. This child, as we've just seen, this child is the natural born child of our Father in heaven. But because of that child, we now are able to enter into the family of God through the purpose or through the way of adoption. And so what we've seen here today is God's gospel. This is truly good news. It's good news whenever, whenever any baby is born, 
But this baby, instead of us giving gifts, this baby has given the most ultimate of gifts. And we've seen this in this child for the last month as we as a church on every Sunday have looked at some aspect of this baby and this baby's birth and the effect that it has upon humanity, the effect that it has had upon us all. Today, most some of you, I'm sure, last night, we all have a little bit different traditions. We give gifts, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing to celebrate Christmas. I enjoy the Christmas carols immensely and the lights that we have and the trees that we have. Can a Christian have a Christmas tree? Well, if you go to the store and buy one, you can. Just don't want to catch anybody bowing down to it. As long as you're not worshiping it, you're doing well. Celebrate. You know, all of the memories, the memories of the past and all of that, but we can't get past looking into the eyes of this child to remember who this child is. We take this time of the year in order to go back to reflect upon it so that as we move forward in the year to come, we would continue to glorify God, that I would have an assurance of my salvation and a realization of the will of God in my life, that I would glorify him because he glorified me so long ago. We thank God for this amazing work that he has done, this great gift that he has given. Father, we just glorify your name. We worship you, Lord. We see you as truly God incarnate. And because, Lord, you have given us this great gift of salvation, it just humbles us, Father. But that humbleness, again, is a good thing. It's a good thing when we have the proper perspective of self and a proper perspective of God. And so, Father, I pray that this morning just wouldn't be a precursor to celebrating today, but would be the reason that we celebrate today. That, Father, as you have reminded us of these things, that, Lord, we would possess these things. We would meditate upon these things and understand truly who you are and the magnitude of the work that you have done. And so, Father, I pray that this knowledge would always go before us every day of our lives. And that, Father, even as we close our service out, that we would sing a new song, a fresh awareness of your grace, looking forward to that day that we're in heaven. But as for right now, we're not in heaven. We're here on earth, and this is not designed to be heaven. This is designed to be that place, Lord, where people are introduced to you. Come to that saving knowledge. So, Father, fill us with your Spirit. Use us for your purposes, Lord, that this gift that has been so bestowed upon us, that we would be givers of this gift to others as well. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Just be glorified once more in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please?